Okay, we're back, y'all. We took a little break. Sound a little bit more excited about it. I am excited. I'm so excited to to be recording once again after a week off. I didn't. I couldn't tell with that huff and puff. Hi, Bree. Oh, hi, Duffy. <laughs> I'm. I apologize if I sound a little tired because I Pepper. am. <laughs> I don't know why you have so much energy. You've been telling me you you're more tired than I am. It's because I had uh three espresso shots of coffee in my um caramel iced caramel macchiato with almond milk from starbucks well see i haven't had any of those things i don't even drink coffee so bear with me y'all if i sound a little sleepy but um we gonna get through this episode glad to be back let's dive right into it we josen we josen okay so how was your week? We were off for a week, y'all. We apologize if anybody was looking for us, yes. <laughs> looking for an upload. Um, if you want to keep track of uh, our upload schedule or um, anything like that, please follow us on Twitter. We okay. make announcements on there regarding the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, how was your week, Duff? Um, my week was pretty good. Last week, we one of the reasons we weren't able to record because is because mm-hmm. I was in Chicago for a cognitive processing therapy conference. Nice. Um, just learning more skills about therapy, and Chicago was really, really beautiful. I got to go to Jazz Fest, their Jazz Fest, and enjoy one of the uh, musicians from New Orleans, Christian Scott Atunde Ajua. Um, he's an awesome trumpeteer, um, just musician in general. It was great. Um, and I just felt refreshed from being able to take that step away, mm-hmm. not necessarily for self-care, but just to get away from home, you know, get away from the environment and the things that are going on here, including my dissertation. How was your weekend? Uh, yeah, no, I feel that. I actually turned in my um, dissertation proposal to my reader this week. Yay! So, I'm really excited about that. Uh, Last weekend, I went to the wedding I told you guys about in Maryland. How was it? It was absolutely beautiful. I mean, now I really want a rooftop wedding. But, I mean, Maryland weather is the weather that we wish we had in the fall down here. Like, it was actually 73, 74 degrees. And it was just a light breeze. It was beautiful Oh my goodness, I was so jealous. And then the moment I got home, I hopped off that plane and I walked outside of the airport. And felt that humidity. Girl. It, <laughs> it hit like, me like I'm, a brick. I wanted to cry. You were like, I'm back. I wanted to cry because like, <laughs> it was so muggy and so yuck outside. And I was like, man, I just left this beautiful weather. Why couldn't I take it with me? Yeah. But the wedding itself, it was absolutely gorgeous. And I'm so happy for my line sister. I'm living vicariously through folks at I this know, moment. I know, with their weddings. Yeah, with their weddings and their babies and all that. So, no, it was great. Then you get back to school and school kicks your ass. And you have to take a week off from your podcast yeah, to so recover. It was a lot. It was a lot. But I had um, this past weekend was um, somewhat eventful. Okay. So um, I'm still recovering from that. Um, I would give you guys more detail, but then I'd be exposing myself. So we ain't doing that. One day we'll have more detail. One day we'll have more detail. In fact, Duffy knows details, but y'all not going to know details. We're going to leave it at that. One day we'll discuss uh, <laughs> details as if it weren't us that we were talking about girl <laughs> we can, we're we'll gonna talk st- about others <laughs> we're gonna start writing letters and whatnot and reading letters out loud on here and one of them is going to be my letter it's <laughs> gonna right? put anonymous from anonymous <laughs> but here, um, brian duffy that one time girl <laughs> it's gonna be great but yeah no that was that that was that so glad to be recording again though this has definitely become routine for us so not recording felt a little off but we are back and today we're going to be talking about the myths and misconceptions around mental health mental illness and such an important topic right now yeah and definitely we also want to make some distinctions between mental health professionals because i didn't realize so many people didn't know the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist that's one example so yeah we're going to try and cover that and it's a lot of stuff like to cover 
so we're not going to touch on everything so forgive us if there's something that we missed um it's not for you know lack of interest or trying it's just we just have a lot of ground to try and cover with little time and we sleepy y'all like it's late we're recording late so we're going to hop right into it and let's see our first myth i'm gonna go out of order with these myths so um here's a good one let's see mental illness is a sign of weakness false very false the falsehood yeah no i I, i'm so sad that there are still you know there's still people who think that um mental illness is a sign of a person being weak or just you know basically broken up and all kinds of stuff i mean the stigma around mental health i get i get it why people are so afraid to even kind of touch on the subject because they think that it's like i'm defective something is wrong with me but i mean that's not that's not what's happening that's not how i frame mental illness particularly as a person who is studying to become a psychologist i don't think that the people who come to see me for therapy that there's some there's something like wrong like oh goodness this person is faulty well their president said when you talk about the mental health problems when people come back from war and combat and they say things that maybe a lot of the folks in this room have seen many times over and you're strong and you can handle it but a lot of people can't handle it so that was what that um like bloated beach ball in the (laughs) white house said that is what the cheese muffin said okay so yeah a a lot of people particularly those who have never experienced any mental illness at all or even been like at the cusp of having like you know a diagnosis a lot of people are just talking out their ass unfortunately about mental illness and yeah oh that means something is wrong and all that kind of stuff no that's that's not what that means it just means that you're going through something um whether it be a diagnosis that is more long term or something that is temporary whatever the case may be it doesn't mean that you're like a broken person or anything like that it's not a necessarily a strength or a weakness sort of thing it's you know it's definitely just this is a little unique thing that's happening with you and mental illness is very complex yeah it's extremely complex extremely complex i i uh, think a part of the problem too is just that people think of it as a you know a dichotomy and that kind of we can let this kind of bleed into another myth and kind of cover these two simultaneously with um you're either mentally ill or mentally healthy like mental wellness mental health wellness and illness not that all of that occurs on a spectrum no one person's diagnosis looks like the other exactly right and durations vary durations vary presentation of symptoms vary um everyone's background history varies the way that uh, we came to the conclusion that you have this diagnosis or even if you don't have a diagnosis if you're just having an experience where you've just been feeling really down or really anxious and you you aren't necessarily meeting our dsm criteria or anything like that you just need to talk to someone your experience is not going to mirror exactly the experience of someone else who's coming in for the same kinds of concerns um so as far as you being like this defective person and oh my goodness if i'm feeling this then that means i'm i'm ill and therefore everything is wrong with the world and i'm just falling apart no 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 we have to break this idea that all of this is a dichotomy because there's so much gray area and i'll tell you as someone who um has gone to therapy and will uh resume going to therapy in a week or so that um i have uh i'm not diagnosed with anything but i've gone through different things in my life more recently that I felt that I needed to talk with someone about that. And I made an announcement on my Facebook when I started therapy. And I was just saying, I'm hoping that I am kind of bridging the gap for somebody who feels as though, you know, um, even if you, if it's like a person is presenting as happy and go lucky and all that on the outside, that, mm-hmm. that means that that's not, there's nothing going on. And even if I am having this experience, like if I need to go and talk to somebody, that doesn't mean that something is wrong with me it's just like something i have to go and talk to somebody about 
and let them help me process through it. Is there some truth to people feeling like there's something wrong with them? I think the language is just really weird because, I mean, if the the word wrong is just so strong and it's such a negative connotation that comes with wrong. And there are some mental illnesses that, you know are what weren't necessarily avoidable if you will like but i mean like i mean i'm speaking like about the person's subjective experience like is that something that people often think like something's wrong with me well i would think so um i i would say that there are a lot of people who do realize that they need to go and talk to a therapist and process things and whatnot but they're going because they think something is wrong and mm. they probably internalize that and start thinking that it's not just a mental illness it's me everything about me is wrong and that's what I want to kind of push people away from because you know that could be super detrimental to your mental health if you start to think that you're you know like you're this old worn out kind of you know like if you're say for example you're experiencing depression and you've tried everything to get out of it it may be more harmful to think that something is wrong with you because that feeling like that may not necessarily be the push to get you to therapy feeling like something's wrong with you could be the thing that keeps you away from therapy you're just like nothing's gonna work everything is wrong everything i'm just like you know like like as if as if you're broken and unrepairable yeah like there's nothing that can be done for you Mm -hmm. so i think that everyone's subjective experience how they frame it is their own story that they are allowed to come up with their own narrative Mm -hmm. i just want us to to you know kind of clarify this idea of mental health being this either you're good or you're bad right because um like i said for my own example most times i'm doing well but there's been times where i haven't been doing so well yeah and so i had to go and flesh that out so can we give people a frame that they can use and work with when they're feeling like something is wrong can we help people shift a little bit um sure i mean how would you approach it Let's see. Maybe I would say if I'm feeling like, oh, I'm I'm just not feeling right. I'm not doing something well. I feel like something's wrong with me. Maybe I could say I've been trying my best with changing the outcome of how I've been feeling. I need some assistance with that. Sure. And I think that that's something, too, that people come to in their own time i mean i think for us having you know this experience of being graduate students and studying clinical psychology and being on like you know the front lines of this kind of work we know when we need to break away we know Mm -hmm. when our self-care meter is running low and we need to re-up we can identify pretty well now if we are starting to meet criteria for like um mdd which yeah. major depressive disorder uh you know like that kind of stuff so we know when to go in but the lay person who may not be as familiar with all of this mental health kind of jargon and just the ins and outs and how complex it can be yeah i think it, it can be more of a challenge for them to realize sometimes that they need the help everybody and it, i think it also goes back to resources and yeah um privilege and and things like that so i mean imagine how there's so many people probably going through all kinds of rough stuff and they don't know where to turn they don't know to tell themselves i need to go and get help because what does help look like yeah you know for somebody who may not have access to a psychologist who charges 150 an hour yeah you know that that's not on the list okay so once okay so once you're like having that feeling like something's wrong you Instead of saying something is wrong, you can then rechange, like change that, change that statement to say I need assistance with, um, getting to where I want to be mentally. Right. Um, and so the next step is finding the resources. Right. Which sidebar? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that um, maybe you and I could do something where we have like a destigmatized mental illness day or something interesting like we should definitely i'm I'm sorry y'all we this i told y'all last time we get ideas as we do things and stuff but i mean like the things that we're talking about on here we should be able to present that to a larger you know kind of 
audience, I think. Um, and that would be really helpful because there's a lot of people who just need to talk to someone face-to-face to get that encouragement. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes the resources are there and available and they just don't know about them. Yeah. And uh, we, we have to help guide people. Because like, when you become a clinical psychologist or whatever mental health professional um, you decide to be, I think that we are not only responsible for doing the work that we do with the therapy and assessment and you know uh, all kinds of stuff that we do, but I think that we're also um, responsible for helping to destigmatize yeah helping people to know when right to advocate for the people who we serve the communities we serve right so what's the next one okay people with mental illness are violent oh yeah Mm, see that that, so this myth i think that myth is dangerous yeah to kind of branch out a little bit on it i think that the the myth is that if you have a mental health diagnosis, you are inherently violent, which I think um, the media doesn't really help with this because every time we have a mass shooter or something like that, it's, um, he was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia. He was diagnosed with autism. He was di- like, in none of these diagnoses, there's no criteria that says um, violent tendencies. Like that, yeah. that's not in there. So, um, to think that people who have a mental illness are inherently violent, they're going to cause some harm to themselves or others, that's not true. Yeah. That's not true. In fact, the APA actually has, um, they did some um, stats on this, and it said that 7.5% of violent crimes uh, were related to the person's symptomology. Only 7.5. That's, that's low. That's really low. You know, so like this idea that how like the media frames things like with violent mass shootings um, where they almost make it seem as though that like this occurred because this person has fill in the blank. That is super duper irresponsible, super dangerous. It does not help with the stigma associated with some of these diagnoses and the people who have these, you know, disorders and um, are living day to day being just fine, you know, that doesn't help them, you know, like it, it just it just sucks a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, we have to stop feeding that bullshit. That that's not cool. Yeah, and it also doesn't help that that is um, that misconception exists because a lot of people who maybe want to get involved with uh, assisting people who have uh, mental health issues, who want to be practitioners, that could be a barrier to them actually entering that field, being afraid of 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 everybody with mental health. Oh yeah, issues. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, of course, if your patient is showing signs of like like something might go down, you might be, you know, harmed in some sort of way. We got to be always be super vigilant in that regard. But yeah, no, I, I think in fact, like people who have mental illness are probably more susceptible to violence than those who do not because they're going through different, you know, this extra thing that they're dealing with that just makes them more vulnerable. So I, I, I dislike how the news handles things when it comes to mental illness and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, more some, susceptible to violent acts against happening them. against them. Yeah, so. against them. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we we just have to be really mindful and take things worth a, a, a grain of salt, or with a grain of salt, rather. So when you hear them say, well, so-and-so um, has a history of depression and anxiety, Remember that there's nowhere in our diagnostics and statistical manual that says this means that this person is more likely to commit a violent act, um, shoot up a school, kill their spouse, anything like that, you know. So um, there's a whole bunch of different factors that go into what makes people do that kind of stuff and blaming it all on the fact that they have a mental health disorder is not okay. So, Mm -hmm. all right. Mental health problems do not affect children or youth. Ooh. That People is... really think that? I mean, think about it. Let's get personal for a second. If you were seven years old, seven or eight years old, and you told your mom that you were depressed, 
Do you think your um, mom would say, okay, I need to bring you to a, a um, therapist? Yeah, a lot of parents think their kids are going to grow out of uh, yeah. mental health issues. Yeah, or not, or they don't even frame it as a mental health issue. They just think, oh, you're too young yeah. to even know what that is. Like, a lot of people think that their children are going to grow out of some of these symptoms that they have. Even, like, symptoms of um, autism. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of, and this is this is not to place blame on parents or guardians or caretakers who may just not understand what it is that the child is going through. Yeah, if you don't know, you don't know. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. A lot of people will look at these different presentations because, like, for kids, um, with anxiety and depression and whatnot, they'll more likely externalize than they will internalize. And so it looks like behavior problems and in school and at home. And so you're just thinking, oh, I just got a badass kid. When in reality, the the issue goes much deeper than that. But if you don't know to explore that further and say, well, maybe I need to bring my child to a mental health professional to see what we can do about this, then of course it's just going to go... But, I mean, we we have to teach people a little bit more about identifying these sorts of things. Because I think the last thing I saw, and this, this mother actually was very in tune with her child and very aware of his issues and what he was going through. Um, like, the, the young boy who, I think he may have been, like, 9 or 10, and he came out to his mother, and his mother was so supportive um, I think she said that they went to go get their nails done after um, they, their conversation. And she was fully aware that her son was getting bullied at school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like how that was affecting him. And unfortunately, when he returned to school, um, the bullying resumed and he hung himself. Mm. And people are just like so astonished that someone so young could even have the wherewithal to do that and I mean of course with kids there's a whole issue of impulsivity and not necessarily understanding the finality of death like that that's you know we can talk about that as well but also we don't want to discount kids awareness of their feelings yeah like how in tune they are with what they're experiencing like just because you're a child or you don't know what you're talking about lies and deceit yeah (laughs) bullshit because I can tell you as a seven eight year old I was very in tune with what was going on in my head and my feelings and things. And yeah. so I think, you know, we just need to help parents be more aware of their children's behavior, their children's, like what their children are talking about mm-hmm. and how they're feeling and address it. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely agree. Take it seriously and address it. Take it seriously and address it. If your child comes to you with concerns about certain things, I mean, sometimes those conversations are hard, but they must be had just for the sake of your child's mental well-being as well as yours. Because that, you know, that can take a toll on you as well with just seeing your child experiencing those sorts of things. And it may be needed that you you seek mental health um, treatment as well or just right. look for resources that can help you guys out. Right. So, um, so far we've covered... Uh, you're either mentally ill or mentally healthy, which is a lie. The dichotomy is ridiculous. Mental health is on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, we've covered mental illness as a sign of weakness. Uh, that is also a lie. That's false. Mental illness is not a weakness. It is, I like to frame it as just, it's an experience, a unique experience to each individual who's going through it, where, wherever they fall on the spectrum. And um, it doesn't mean that you're broken. It just means that you just need a little bit of extra help. Okay. Um, we covered uh, mental health problems do not affect children. Mm-hmm. Um, mental health, uh, people with mental illness are violent. Okay. Um, mental health problems are forever. That kind of goes into the spectrum thing. Yeah. yeah. It can be forever, but not always. Like, there are diagnoses that are more permanent in nature, um, like schizophrenia, um, chances are you, you, you're not going to just not have schizophrenia after like a month or two or anything like that. That's something where, um, many people will be on medication for the remainder of their lives. Yeah. Um, more of those neurological disorders, of course, neurological disorders. Um, yeah, no, there's different disorders in which, um, the time that they, the time frame of how long they last is just, it could be a lifelong disorder um 
However, it does not mean that if you have that, that that's the end of the world because that's what treatment is for. Um, that's what therapy is for. That's psychopharmacological treatment. That's medication. Um, that's what that's for. People, there's plenty of people who have these diagnoses who lead very normal lives and they just have to take some additional steps to, you know, make the day go by, make everything stay, you know, good. Level. Pretty much. Level things out. All right. Very good. So, um, let's see. Why don't we talk about uh, the differences between the mental health professionals? Because, um, yeah, I, like I said, I didn't realize that a lot of people actually did not know. And truth be told, there is some, you know, I'm still learning a bit about what other people do as well. Because I got my master's in mental health counseling and... I was going to be an LPC, which is a licensed professional counselor initially. But then I decided to, I wanted to go further with my career, um, further in the sense that I wanted to uh, go to, back to school and be trained in something that would allow me to do a little bit more in the mental health field in regards mm-hmm. to, you know, like just options for careers and yeah. whatnot. And so... Um, I specifically wanted to be a school psychologist for yeah. a while. Um, I was a mental health specialist before. I wanted to be a school psychologist for a while because I really, I've always wanted to help children. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted my work to center around kids, but I did realize that school psychologists have enormous limitations, which made me want to become a clinical psychologist, not only because of the limitations that school psychologists had, mm-hmm. um, they were directly kind of controlled either by the principal or by the um, the official mm-hmm. administrator over that school or school system. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas clinical psychologists, you can literally be, be a school psychologist. You can also be a clinical therapist, have your own practice. You can be an advocate. You can work on uh, policy in a right. number of different ranges and extents. Um, you can be a medical psychologist as well. Mm-hmm. We'll go into a little bit more of that. So why don't we dive in and do the the first one, which I think uh, the biggest confusion is around psychologist versus psychiatrist. Right. And we're going to be going through more of the major professions. So there's many more, but, but for now. Yeah. So psychiatrists and psychologists, what are the differences? Hmm. One goes to med school for one, and the other goes to a graduate level um, program, a doctoral level program, a PhD or PsyD. Right. So PhD, PH dot D dot or Psy, P-S-Y, shout out Psy Barjosen, <laughs> P-S-Y dot D dot. So either PhD or PsyD. So for to be a psychiatrist, um, you are a medical doctor. And you specialize in mental health care Mm -hmm. and have the um, potential to prescribe medications. Okay. Yeah. So you can prescribe medications if you would like. Um, Can can they do therapy? Yeah. It says a few do psychotherapy. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So you definitely have to go on specific mental health rounds and have extensive training in... um, mental health care Mm -hmm. when you're a doctor so for example if you were another uh another type of doctor like internal medicine after you go through your general round of courses there's gonna be a point where your coursework and your um clinical practice is gonna focus on internal medicine Mm -hmm. the same happens for psychiatrists they have a focus on mental health Okay. Mm-hmm. And so what about psychologists? What what separates um, what we'll be doing in the next few years? From the psychiatrist? From psychiatrists, yeah. All right. So the psychologist, our, well, like the, like I said, there's PhD or PsyD. Mm-hmm. Um, the PhDs are more so focused on research. Yes. That is a very important distinction because research actually gives us the evidence base for how we practice. Yes. It tells us um, what medications are more effective than others for certain diagnoses. It tells us what therapies are more effective for certain diagnoses mm-hmm. as well. So our PhDs more so focus on research. However, mm-hmm. they do have study in therapy as well. Mm-hmm. So they can counsel. Yes. 
All right. And um, in terms of the coursework, I believe that they do thesis. Yeah. They do theses. Is that correct? Is that <laughs> a good word? Is that a word? All right. They they do their thesis. They will do a thesis. All they right. Do a dissertation. Um, yes, and they do a dissertation. Yes, and I mean, there the amount of time that they spend doing um, that research and that work in the lab, um, on the end of like a side D, which is more a professional degree. Yes. Um, we are focused more so on practice. So That's right. instead of doing a lot of research we will focus more so on the application of the treatments and the assessments and things right. that we do. So that does right. not mean that PhDs do not do this work, but it's just a split in how much of it either focus or on focus study. on. Yeah. Right. So like if you have 3000 hours worth of lab time and research and right. in the field and field studies and things like that, um on the phd side yeah yeah, we'll have spent that much time in practicum doing assessments and therapy and um other things which again does not mean that we don't do research because we also have to do dissertations that's right in our program but um just a distinction there however when it comes down to it we graduate we have to still go through whatever licensing board for our respective states and we all have to take an e-triple-p and at the end of the day psychologist is the title regardless right. of if you are a PsyD or if you are a PhD that's right all right so we're done with that distinction yes so let's go to um counselors and social workers sure and also just to kind of touch on this I hope that we are not describing this in a manner in which it sounds like there's a hierarchy because um, there is not this is just not. the way in which it's presented right this is we're just in going in cases. the order um of this thing that we found but yes no all mental health professionals add value to our field of like just in general we all do something very very important and so, uh we also study a lot and and pay a great hefty uh fee for said studies <laughs> um and put in a lot of uh clinical hours yeah. under supervision so if my future sugar father Oh, is listening I, yes sugar papa sugar papa um i'm so sorry i'm i'm sorry i'm so, we're supposed to be serious but Anyways. pay my bills um please, okay. and, <laughs> so, but, please and thanks in advance please and thanks in advance so but what, what else do we have i will bless you um okay so we have clinical social workers okay right and their titles will carry um, the acronym of LCSW. Well, that's the licensed clinical social worker. Mm-hmm. You have LSWs and LCSWs. LCSWs. LSWs and LC. You lost me. Anyways. <laughs> no, L, there's this licensed social worker and there's licensed clinical social workers. Okay. Very good. And then you also have your licensed professional counselors. So what do licensed social workers do? Licensed social workers... They um, are able to do psychotherapy, mm-hmm. and they have hours and hours of direct clinical experience. One of the things that they focus on, however, is um, a lot of those other accesses in the DSM-5. Let me explain that a little bit more. They handle a lot of people's um, social resources Mm-hmm. that they need they help you to people to acquire a lot of the social resources to adapt better mm-hmm. to their environment so yes. for example if a person has housing needs that is um contributing to their mental illness causing them not not to be able to function well then right. they're going to help them with their housing issues they're going to help them with their employment issues right um they're going to help them find some of the resources in their communities that they need in order to function better mm-hmm. in their day-to-day lives so social workers are very important to helping with those external factors that could be contributing to yes ma'am. say like if you're experiencing anxiety and whatnot that's a very mm-hmm. a very big thing to have to worry about is where am i going to lay my head at night yes and social workers so 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 wonderful social workers are amazing and they don't get paid enough for the work that they do i mean they bust their ass you have to have like uh, uh your your mind has to know exactly all of the resources that are available shout out to social workers if no one is showing y'all enough love man i love y'all i love all mental health professionals yeah. who are doing the right thing so what about counselors that was that's where the direction i was heading in prior to I feel like you're more skilled about this because you were once on that track. Right. Um, so 
counselors to become a licensed professional counselor that is a master's level um mental health professional mm-hmm. you go to school you get trained on um therapy and this is also a distinction between lpcs and um lpc psychologists is that so the focus is primarily on the therapy whereas say psychologists were also focused on therapy but we also can do assessment psychological assessment so like neuropsychologists clinical psychologists counseling psychologists um they do the you know psychoeducational evaluations for your kids and the neurological evaluations for and not just kids but just in general psych is determine if you have ADHD and learning disabilities, personality disorder, like the, all those testing things. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the folks who may be listening who um, practiced with me a couple of years ago when I had to go do all those whisks and wastes oh and gosh. whatnot. Shout out to Thank y'all. Thank you. But, so so psych- sorry. <laughs> psychologists that. do that work. And so Torture. I did have to, I did learn a little bit of stats and that kind of stuff when I was in my program, but it's primarily focused on um therapy and i did start my i did start learning about cbt there um so yeah you can become a lpc you uh go through your program you graduate you take the nce the national counselor examination and then you also have to get licensed by your board you have to collect i think three thousand hours in total so you're going to be a plpc provisional license um like that all the acronyms so you have to go through that because originally it was you it was just intern the problem is people thought intern like they associated intern with inexperience basically so people were having trouble with finding jobs and like finding placements to earn the hours they needed to get the lpc license so now people um can apply and they'll be provisionally licensed until they complete all their hours and have passed the nce and have met all the requirements and then they are uh, they drop the p in front of the lpc and then you're just LPC. <laughs> so, um, th- and that's another thing too. I'm so goofy. A lot, of, a lot of these, like a lot of people, think that all mental health professionals do is sit and ask people, "How do you feel?" As they lay on the couch, yeah. it's so much. I mean, y'all, they make you work for these different letters and things behind your name. I promise Bruh. you, this is no easy journey to get to where we are going. Let me tell you something. By the time I finish with a full day of talking to people about whatever the issues are, I am tired. Mm-hmm. All right? Tired. Mentally drained. I have we, nothing else. We have to definitely be mindful of our own self-care. So, yeah, I mean mental health professionals put in work all right so what do we got let's move on we have um marriage and family therapists okay um their focus is they also had get master's degrees Mm -hmm. like your licensed professional counselors um they focus on marriage marriage and family and family yeah straight out the gate that's (laughs) that's what they're working on now there is a distinction between um marriage family and child counselors also but all of this varies from state to state i'm sorry yeah all of this varies from state to state so there's just distinctions that you just you just won't know but right specifically marriage and family therapists if you're looking to um assist with your help with your significant other your relationship mm-hmm. or with some family issues then you would definitely want to see somebody who is Mm -hmm. experienced with marriage and family therapy right someone whose primary focus is treatments that or um treatment modalities that are targeted towards dealing with issues within families and relationships yes um last but certainly not least you have your psychiatric nurses yes tell us about the psychiatric nurses um they're first just like the psychiatrists they're trained first as a regular registered nurse and rn mm-hmm. and then they get their specialized training in psychiatry okay and some forms of psychotherapy now their direct clinical experience experience is a lot lower than the rest i should say okay um they can have like up to 500 hours of direct clinical experience you have to kind of compare that with 3000 yeah that's a difference. Yeah. So, like, their focus is not necessarily on actually doing treatment as much as it's being informed 
yeah. about mental health and mental wellness. Right. Um, so that say if they're working in a hospital and they're working on in the psych ward, they have familiarity with the issues that the people that they're treating are going through mm-hmm. and can address them accordingly because they have that knowledge, that experience and stuff. But you don't necessarily and I think this is kind of my follow up thing, is like how do you choose who do you go to? Yes. And um I think you also should know real oh, quickly. Go for it. Psychiatrists may or may not carry prescription privileges. Right. And also another thing too, in three states, Illinois, um, New Mexico, uh-huh. and Louisiana. Louisiana. You can also become a medical psychologist, which is an additional master's degree in psychopharmacology. Uh-huh. And uh, we cannot actually pursue that degree until after having practiced for a certain period of time. Correct. So, um, yeah, there are some psychologists within these three states that can actually prescribe medication. And um, that was to meet the need uh, for medication issues or the lack of access, I guess, to psychiatrists or they're yeah. not being enough to do the medication management and treatment yeah. and whatnot. And there's so, so many psychiatrists. Um, I mean, there's so many people going to the limited number of psychiatrists to get their medications. There are people who are on like six month waiting that lists. There are disparities. Yeah, like it's it's terrible. And so to try trying to offset that, um, mm-hmm. medical psychologists have come into the scene. They've been around for uh, a little bit, a little bit now. I can't say exactly. I can't remember, but um, no say, huh? No say. No say. So, like, it's been um, some time now, though, however. So, mm-hmm. yes, no, they are trained. They have to go through additional um, supervision in order to actually be able to practice with um, with that license. And also, they are limited into only prescribing psychopharmacological medications. Right. So, um, in choosing your mental health practitioner, uh-huh. what one of the things you have to ask yourself is what is important to you? Right, like what's going on, what's the need, mm-hmm. and I think that's really the biggest thing too, is like what's the issue and what's the need. If you need um, medication, um, and of course you wouldn't know right off the bat, but say um, if you go to your primary care physician and they think that there's an issue and that you probably need to be on medication or something like that, they may send you to a psychiatrist because that's where they specialize, or they mm-hmm. may send you to a medical psychologist. Um, if you need treatment for serious mental illness, um, they'll send you probably, like, you'll probably go and see a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, or you could possibly see an LPC. Um, if you are currently, you know, going through a number of different issues that require some more hands-on work that like the stuff that social workers would do like yeah. if you're someone who is seeing um a, a social worker through a, a mental health rehabilitation center you know like you're getting your mental health needs met hopefully uh we're gonna go on an mhr rant on another day but well um, some of your like adaptive needs yeah so they're also worried about those adaptive needs and kind of touching on that so social workers put in the work there mm-hmm. so it just really depends um on what's going on and what needs need to be met yeah and we hope that we clarify some of those myths and things for you guys um again there's so much ground to cover but so little time so we're going tweet to us. go yeah tweet us tweet us y'all haven't been tweeting ask us, us shit i i checked in fact when was the last time you checked that email <laughs> what email and on that note, we are going to take a break. <laughs> I have like 10, 100 emails. My God. Okay. Different, different emails. <laughs> Jesus. We'll be back, y'all. Ta-ta. So, sorry about that. Um, it kind of cut off real quick because my alarm went off. Stupid-ass phone. But uh, anyway, yeah, no. Uh, I, what I was just saying is that we need to teach kids consent like early on we need to tell them about boundaries early on yes that lady telling her teenage daughters that like basically normalizing people putting their hands on you without you allowing them like or giving them permission to is is just it's insane to me so i mean we definitely definitely have to be more responsible and let people know early on as early on as we can you keep your hands to yourself you are not entitled 
to anybody's space yeah in their on their body or anything like that you cannot just go up to a young lady or a young man and put your hands on them and this is definitely something that goes both ways like i remember watching some stupid ass video on youtube where this lady it was like a, i guess it was a prank and she was going up to men and like grabbing their junk and yeah. granted their response and this is in a different country but granted their response was not necessarily you know like oh Oh, no what are you doing like it was kind of like they laughed at it but that's crazy to me like that is insane if i were some like a you know a mother of a son right now and my some young girl went up to my son and grabbed his junk or whatever i'd have a problem same yeah. way i'd have a problem if some young man touched my child my daughter in an inappropriate way yes yeah, about socialization Consent is important. Please remember, you guys, consent yeah. is important. So shout out to Liz Kleinrock um, at Citizens of the World Charter School, mm-hmm. Silver Lake, located in Los Angeles. The kids were actually in fourth grade. Okay, cool, cool. So why don't we go ahead and wrap it up? Because I feel like we've been talking a lot. And we also uh, have to go. I think that my, my alarm going off was like a sign to just like okay you guys you need to go to bed well let's just leave it at this let's leave it at um treatments for individuals who may have experienced sexual assault or um other traumas in general sure so since we're on the topic um would you like to just do a quick list of certain treatments that people could receive so this is also listed on ptsd.va.gov if you would like to go and look more into it but you have trauma-focused psychotherapies, um, such as prolonged exposure, cognitive processing therapy, which is the training I went to, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. You also have brief eclectic psychotherapy, narrative exposure therapy, written narrative exposure therapy, specific cognitive behavioral therapies for PTSD, as well as some some others that don't necessarily focus as much on the trauma, such as stress inoculation training, present centered therapy, and interpersonal psychotherapy. So again, if you're dealing with any form of trauma, when we say trauma, we're talking about um, witnessing or experiencing firsthand um, potential um, death or threat of death or extreme violence related to you, such as sexual assault, um, you may want to go and seek treatment, and those treatments are listed on ptsd.va.gov. And then you can go about finding a therapist, such as the ones that we listed, who are um, trained and focused in those specific therapies. Right. So if you listen to that list and you have no idea of what we're talking about, that's totally okay. The idea is more so to find a therapist that suits you um, and just ask you know if or if you're just looking on the internet you can find somebody or look for somebody who is uh has a focus in working with trauma right a lot of people will list that in their bios that they do such and such and their focus and training has been um specifically with individuals with trauma and things like that and we hope that this episode was really helpful for you guys we know it was like way more serious than our last two episodes um but you know we did mention that we would talk about psychology stuff at some points so we figured hey why not now yeah so we are going to head out we hope y'all enjoyed we jost we josting okay so now we gotta figure out how to splice this together with that last segment (laughs) damn you alarm all right later y'all later y'all okay so what's been happening on social media a lot a lot a lot a lot Mm -hmm. there have been um stale hot dog buns thrown at bill cosby Uh, bill cosby went to jail y'all bill cosby went to jail uh a lot of people uh have been rejoicing a lot of other people have been in their feelings um, I just want people to realize that Cliff Huxtable and Bill Cosby are not one in the same. Two. They're I mean, they're not even two different people. One is one of them is a person. Bill which Cosby. Would be Bill, Bill Cosby. And the other one is a persona. 
Yeah, it's like a fic. It's a fictional character on a TV show that yes, a lot of people loved and adored. I was a super big fan of the Cosby Show, so I'm right there with y'all with the whole. Oh man, I love that show so much. I mean, I can't even lie, but also I find it really discouraging that you know people are so attached to it that they can't just you know they can't look from behind the blinders and whatever and be like you know what the person playing cliff huxtable bill cosby uh he sounds like he's a terrible person in fact he is a terrible person in regards to how he's treated women yeah um such a blatant disregard for their autonomy and i mean shit if y'all haven't listened to uh the pound cake speech y'all need to go and revisit that because he was tearing y'all niggas apart the ones who claim to love him so much, you better exactly. pick up your pants because Bill Cosby wouldn't even want you probably within 50 feet of him if you looked a certain way. Like, respectability politics. politics out the ass. So, yeah, yeah no, that um, Bill Cosby thing, I mean, sure, I get y'all feelings of hurt and whatnot, but I need y'all to care about women a little bit more, particularly the women who are going up in arms about this because, sis, you got to let that internalized misogyny go. Yeah, I think for, I think for all of us we need to um have boundaries, draw the lines for our for ourselves into what is reality and what's fictional and may benefit us in other ways. Just draw the line. Right. I mean, I like I think too when you add the race factor into it, of course, you know, historically black people have been under attack in this country from like physically, mentally, our image. I get it. So when you see one of your favorite beloved characters, uh, you know, actors, whatever you want to call him, you know, when you see him go down like this, of course, you feel like that's just another attack um, on black people. However, you have to also be mindful again that people are no matter how good they portray themselves on tv people are capable of some fucked up shit and yeah. he was out here drugging women sexually yeah. assaulting them yeah. and i don't care how much you love that um night and day skit on the cosby show when they were singing Aww. the ray charles I, that, that shit hurts my nigga like you know i love that but i i just don't feel comfortable watching it anymore yeah but i mean um, I, yeah. I i think that this goes back to what we're taught as a in a in this society that everything is dichotomous that either mm-hmm. you're good or you're bad mm-hmm. and things just i mean it's not reality like right good people do bad things bad people do good things right there's a lot of in between there right and we have to call people out on their shit exactly like it doesn't matter how much philanthropy that um bill cosby did i mean you that doesn't cover up the fact that you were out here putting your hands on women who did not give you consent to touch them like you you were using your status and using your status to basically silence them and i mean he didn't even have to use his status the way we treat women who come out about sexual assault is terrible it's always the first question is well what did you do how did you put yourself in this position what did you wear all kinds of stuff that just places the blame on the victim and i'm like why do y'all hate women so much god damn especially especially women who who do that stuff i mean golly our country is patriarchal as fuck but i mean there's always those times where you're reminded of just how fucked up it is when we talk about things like sexual assault like the whole situation with remy ma right Right. like i damn it (laughs) one of the things that um that remy ma was basically saying was that oh give context to the situation sure all right Remy Ma um, had a very controversial interview recently on State of the Culture, which is hosted by Joe Budden and um, co-hosted by Remy Ma, Scotty Beam, and Jinx. And people were just really upset about some of the comments that she made. They thought they were very distasteful, distasteful, ignorant, um, condescending, rude, all of the above. Um, One of the things that she was saying was that women have a responsibility to speak up and out of 60 women she just couldn't see how nobody had spoken up before now she said that she wasn't necessarily discrediting all of the women who came up against you know bill cosby and said that he had sexually assaulted them however she just couldn't believe that out of 60 women no one said anything and that if it were her 
she would have said something. I think, number one, it's important to talk about victimization and how people who people who uh who are predatory they prey on specific types of people that's number one they prey on people who are vulnerable um and not only that i think she also kind of dismisses what it means to have been traumatized right and i think too like just a clarifying point for everybody who keeps saying that these Bill Cosby allegations just came up like two years ago or so. That's n- not true. False. Since we're talking about <laughs> myths and misconceptions. um, No, I'm sorry. Some of these uh, allegations are as old as we are like is this yeah. is not new this yeah. is it's, it's like almost like similar to the whole r kelly situation it's not like all of a sudden people trying to take r kelly down yeah if he were to go to jail today like we, we couldn't be like oh all these women now yeah because for years for years and some of these women will have, will say that they said something to someone but who believed them yes who want, just the same way that people right now are saying oh man i can't believe that how y'all gonna say that about bill cosby the same reaction that y'all are giving now is the same reaction that those women experienced when they tried to say bill cosby assaulted me no one wanted to believe them because it was bill cosby right or the women who chose not to say anything may have chosen not to say something because exactly of that reaction they people can anticipate what the reaction will be exactly and i think there's another fact that um being brought up um that's very important you can't negate the the idea that some people when they have these sort of experiences like i said we live in a world where you're either good or bad you're taught this dichotomy very Mm -hmm. early on and so one of the things i learned in my cognitive processing therapy training um sometimes when you begin to believe that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people and so if something bad happened to me i must have been responsible for Mm -hmm. that um, and I think that's that's the commentary and narrative that people often play on, but they have the wrong twist of it. People often like to say, "Well, how did they get in that position how did How did the woman happen to be in the position where she could get drugged? Why was she drinking? Why was she wearing this? All of these kind of statements mm-hmm. that fits into that dichotomy. But I think the idea is women also take on that kind of blame like why was i there i shouldn't have been there i shouldn't have been in that situation i shouldn't have drank that drink all of this however all both of that both of those ideas whether it's the person blaming it on themselves or others blaming it on that person Mm -hmm. victim blaming both of those are wrong yeah no no one should be assaulted our society is really terrible when it comes to trying to you know flesh out what happened and why this happened and contrary to popular belief by you people who like to reach for the fucking stars without stretching. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> My gosh. I'm just saying. Uh, a lot of people are like, oh, man. Well, we got to, you know, because women be lying. Statistically speaking, the amount of women who have lied about being sexually assaulted compared to the number of women who have actually been sexually assaulted is like fucking day and night. There is mm-hmm. really no epidemic of women out here lying about see- being sexually assaulted. Because first and foremost, what emphasis do they stand on epidemic to benefit by putting themselves through that kind of situation? I mean, genuinely, just think about this because we're already talking about people don't want to believe women from jump. Yeah. So you mean to tell me that there's a whole bunch of women out here just lying on any and everybody, Dick, Tom, and Harry? You know, like that, just for the sake of lying, y'all ain't that special. Trust right. me. So, um, I'm just saying, like, generally, we have to we have to do better with how we handle uh, these stories about sexual assault. We cannot put ourselves in, you know, like the position to say when someone is supposed to report and all that kind of stuff because history has shown that we devalue women, like we devalue women in this country. We we have come a long way. We've made a lot of strides. But, I mean, look at what just happened right now with the uh, Kavanaugh uh, confirmation. I mean, the whole objective 
is to get him in a position to get Roe versus Wade overturned. Yeah. Like, I mean, y'all, this country keeps telling women, particularly women of color, fuck you. <laughs> that's, that's the resounding message that I, I'm getting a lot. And so, um, yeah, we, we've got to do better about this. We've got to do a lot better. Particularly, um, I want to speak out to my... Um, my uh, white liberal allies, my white female liberal allies who identify as feminists. Um, mm-hmm. I know you guys are particularly up in arms right now about this confirmation that has occurred. And I mean, a lot of women are of all races and backgrounds and things. I'm particularly surprised. Like, I'm not. That They, I mean, they I, were I, going to force that through. But let, let, but let me just say that you yeah. guys... Um, if you are really upset now and broken down and feeling discouraged and things, I want you to also, in your time of reflection, think about the issues, the trauma, the work that women of color had to basically go through in this country. And, and you guys have been radio silent on that shit. So if you were one of the the white women in, in that number, if this... um kind of makes you feel uncomfortable in any form or fashion i think this is a you know this is a wake-up call that you need to kind of reflect to um you know on what's been going on prior to this particular situation and what role you could possibly play in not only kind of redirecting the direction we're going in now but also standing up for your sisters of color and whatnot and recognizing that we've been putting in a lot of work too and haven't had your support and things and y'all floundering around and oh goodness what are we going to do and it's just like i mean this look to the women of the civil rights movement and the women who have persevered over time you know with that when dealing with racial and (laughs) gender issues i mean we we can get through this history has shown that we've been very very um like what strong-willed in these kinds of situations yeah but i i I need i need that that's just something that struck a nerve with the whole kavanaugh thing and whatnot it's just like there's so much effort and there's so much interest in in this particular situation and whatnot but it's like when we talk about feminism we just like yay women only and all women so like that without context without thinking about how some of these different situations affect people who don't look like you so um be mindful of your privilege going forward and um i think this is a good time for us to really start talking to each other a little bit more yeah i I mean i definitely wasn't surprised that um he kind of skated the whole sexual assault issue i was not surprised by that i think that i was surprised by the fact that um when he was being uh questioned how he has showed like this inability to just tell the truth or even to tolerate questioning how that wasn't taken into consideration that's what i was surprised about oh yeah he as a judge his character was not reflective of a judge and so you know a lot of people were taking that as you know this is his genuine raw emotion and he's you know experiencing something that's pretty tough and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff but if this just reminds me of how people were so concerned about a woman being president and how we don't have the control of our emotions you know the necessary control of our emotions that would allow us to make rational decisions and shit and here you have this grown-ass man flailing around and crying and all kinds of shit when he's supposed to be maintaining some sort of composure and professionalism but y'all worried about women being too emotional and too you know like and that's not to say that people can't express themselves in that way um however you know i just it just it just befuddles me that people still think that men are the more rational sex or even even better yet it it, it makes me like it just throws me off when people think that you can separate emotions from cognitions like you can be rational and not have any emotion attached to it your emotions are attached to everything remember there are more emotions than happy sad angry (laughs) (laughs) so so they're you know disgust (laughs) 
You know, like there are all guilty. sorts of things. Content. You know, like you said guilty. Guilty. You know, like <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of emotions that you can experience and those emotions definitely influence how you are going to move as far as your thoughts on certain things and your decision making. Mm-hmm. So this this idea that men are these like super rational guys who, you know, just don't have all these emotions running through us like women are, you know, just it's it's stupid. It it's annoying. Stop that. Stop doing that. I'm just saying. All right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, anything else on the the webs? What? I haven't mm. really been seeing anything. I mean, like I've been on. We haven't really been on the webs, like talking about it. Can't even lie. I mean, I I have, but I've oh, been mostly okay. just posting photos of myself enjoying my best life, and that's not the same. I know, like it's not the same in keeping. I mean, like a lot of what we've been talking about already is what people have been talking about. Bill Cosby, Kavanaugh, um, anything else? That's been- oh, yes, yeah, Kanye yes, yes, yes. has been acting a fucking ass yet again. I can't with Kanye right now. And so... I did want to say something related oh. to Kavanaugh. Oh, go ahead. This nice teacher, um, she taught her kids about consent based upon the Kavanaugh, after hearing the Kavanaugh hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, she made this cute little chart. I believe she had third graders. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talked about consent. She, the questions that she asked was, what does it mean to give consent? Mm-hmm. She spelled that out for the kids. It means to give permission to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. She talked about what does consent sound like? Mm-hmm. So people know, so the kids know exactly what they're hearing when they know that they have permission. Um, she also asked, when do we need to ask for consent? So she gave specific scenarios and not talking about sex. Mm-hmm. So what I liked about this was that a lot of parents have been questioning when is the appropriate time to talk to your child about consent. And their issues were that a lot of people are putting consent into like this overly sexual category. Mm-hmm. Whereas you can teach kids consent without talking about sex at all. Right. Um, And then she also asked the question, what if... What if you, like, really want something from somebody and somebody doesn't want it back? Mm-hmm. Um, and what can you do if you do not give consent? That's good. And, I mean, genuinely, we need to talk to kids about that early on. Because that woman, who I guess she was on Fox News or something like that, and in front of her two teenage daughters was just basically saying, oh, there ain't nothing wrong with a little fondling or whatever. Fuck like that. Right, like, no, no, no. That, that's no. fondling is molestation, no, uh, ma'am. It's fucking terrible. So, no, we need to teach kids early.